Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Ron. You better get your V8, because this is our review of Ninja 3, The Domination, starring Shokazugi for like 10 minutes, Lucinda Dickey, Jordan Bennett, Dale Shimoto, David Chung, and James Hong. Directed by Sam Furstenberg, released in 1984, grossed over $7.6 million at the box office, but the infamous Electric Boogaloo Golden Globus Canyon Films documentary, everybody talked about this being a huge failure. I don't understand how $7.6 million on what was probably a $300,000 budget is a failure, but... I guess if you're Manaham and you thought it was going to make a hundred billion dollars and win Lucinda Dickey and Oscar, it was a failure. I mean, you would think that even if they spent a million dollars on this movie, they didn't spend much of anything on marketing. So yeah. if you could turn a million dollars into $7.6 million, that's not bad. That's not a bad ROI. <laughs> I don't know what they expected because clearly they didn't spend a million dollars on this. No, <laughs> their, their complaint was that audiences didn't get it. And I can almost understand that because we're going to do something a little out of order here before we, before we do like all of our background and all this. Let's just go straight to the plot summary because I got a lot of questions here, Ron. And the big ones I want you to answer for me are why is this called Ninja three? Why is this called the domination? And what exactly did I just watch? Because I'm not sure what I saw. Well, I don't know if I can answer any of those questions for you. Um, I do have a theory that it, th- this movie does involve technically three ninjas, uh, okay. but it's not those three ninjas. <laughs> oh, my. There's no kicking back or knuckling up or uh, breaking or whatever they do. <laughs> but yes, um, I once again, I've uh, I, I've not shared the plot summary with Jay ahead of time. Um He's going to have to hear it for a second time because Skype ate the last recording. So yeah, that, all of the, much, all much of like the part of using, this movie, uh, my computer is haunted. So. Just Yeah, it's haunted by the ghost of a ninja, and it takes a, a ninja to kill a ninja. Yeah. But in this case, it's the ninja blender <laughs> that Jay is going to have to like toss his Mac MacBook into. Yeah. So just uh, fill in the gaps with some some – wheezing trying not to laugh laughter and you'll have basically the same experience that we had last time all right so the plot of ninja 3 the domination and my literally page and a half plot summary i still uh, can't believe it's a page and a half well yeah i had to cram i crammed a lot of jokes in it and we're gonna we're gonna make the audience suffer and sit through every minute of it i ran I ran some of them by my wife, and, and she enjoyed slash hated them, so I think it'll be well, great. Bit, did she watch this one either? Because you've drug Holly through all of these. This is not the first time Holly and I have watched this. We have watched oh. this movie repeatedly. Oh. It is one of the rare things to earn the K for keep on the DVR uh, oh. so that it will not delete it because I love this movie. Oh, uh, wow. Which is okay. jumping ahead way too much, but uh, <laughs> yes, I... I, I I love this ridiculously stupid film, and I've, I've greatly enjoyed watching it uh, again for this podcast. And why do I enjoy this film? Well, let me tell you in the plot summary. 
Ninjas hate golf and they love killing. A daring daylight attack on a supposedly famous scientist and his security goons gets the evil black ninja, except he's more like a gray ninja because he's not wearing black, <laughs> shot up by police after slaughtering a bunch of yuppies. Seems like a victimless crime to me, but I'm not in the LAPD. Either way, Black Ninja kills roughly two dozen cops, but in the process, he shot more times than Alex Murphy at the beginning of RoboCop. <laughs> Black Ninja disappears in a puff of smoke, but emerges from his hidey hole and is found dying on the roadside by Christy, an aerobics instructor slash telephone lineman who comes to his aid. I still can't believe that's the character in this movie. Yes, uh, bad move, honey. You just got possessed by an evil ninja thanks to his katana. After a meet cute with Officer Billy, who looks like Matt Lauer and is almost as creepy, <laughs> Officer Billy follows Christy to her aerobics class. She spurns him again, only to walk outside and stumble upon one of the many daylight rapes that took place in 1984. She saves her friend's bacon, but then she's surrounded by the thugs. However, her latent ninja powers emerge. And she promptly begins kicking ass and doing gymnastics. Billy promptly arrests her and threatens to charge her with assault for beating up a bunch of rapists. It's confusing, but it turns out it's just a ruse to get her back in his car and ask her out again. She must have a thing for being threatened because she brings Officer Gropey back to her apartment for some V8 juice. And by V8, and by V8 juice, I mean sub-yacht rock and V8 juice body shots. Because nothing says sexy like slightly less gross Clamato. After some room temperature tomato sex, the windows to her downtown L.A. flophouse blast open and she walks to the glowing poltergeist closet while Black Ninja's katana magically unsheaths itself and floats into her hands. Billy wakes up to find her suspiciously sheathing a ninja sword. Here comes Yamada, arriving in L.A. just in time. Billy has a case and Christy has a mission. Christy's mission, kill the cops who killed Black Ninja. After another pointless dance scene, Christy's feeling really weird, probably gassy from too much V8. She gets laser blasted by her arcade game machine and something about the flashing lights of Bouncer, a smoke machine, and a flying and that flying ninja sword <laughs> awaken the spirit within her. Christy growls like a monster that travels into the Hollywood Hills to get Black Ninja's cache of killing tools and gender-hiding padded outfit. Time for a little ninja revenge on the first officer involved, Officer Greasy Papadopoulos. One underclad, one underwear-clad officer down, about a dozen more to go, as Yamada looks on from a crowd of gawkers. After going to the doctor and learning that she's totally healthy aside from a little ESP, Christy spots her next cop victim, Officer Veneers J. Mustache, along with his two prostitutes. Christy tracks them to the local quote-unquote health spa, and starts making out with veneers, only to uncap her poison ring and give the prick a fatal prick. She slices one prostitute's throat with the poison blade, then strangles another one to death. Mission accomplished? However, Yamada is getting closer. Christy's now losing time and exercising to the point of exhaustion. Fortunately, Billy knows a guy in the Asiatic division of the police department who knows James Hong, who ends up chaining Christy to a post bringing the spirit of Black Ninja to the forefront via exorcism. James Hong and his day off from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, so our ninja movie takes a turn for the exorcist-y. Uh, Christy nearly breaks free from her chains, but is restrained by Billy. 
She yells in Japanese, cackles, shrieks, makes James Hong float, and then starts spinning around on her chain like a deranged gymnast. <laughs> However, she does get, admit one thing that's very important to the plot. She's possessed by the ghost of a ninja. And only one thing can stop a ninja. Another ninja. Yamada breaks into the hospital to steal the body of Black Ninja, his old enemy and the man that took his eye. Meanwhile, there's going to be a big gathering of police for a funeral, and Christie's going to make an appearance at said funeral after another Evil Dead-style demonic possession scene. Things are flying around her apartment, the plumbing is belching smoke, and her phone is raving at her in Japanese. Not even dancing to 80s pop music can stop her from getting possessed and undertaking another mission of murder for Black Ninja's ghost. Billy finds her van and a ninja star outside of the cemetery, but it's already too late. Black Ninja is there and waiting with a bow and arrow. Arrows rain down while cops shoot wildly into the air at nothing. Another five or six cops are killed, and then Black Ninja slash Christie leads police on another chase through a cemetery. It's not mentioning all the other people that are killed by the stray bullets flying around the air for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, they're just the they're firing. Shooting. These are like cops from the Stormtrooper Academy or something, man. They cannot shoot. But fortunately, Yamada's there, and he can interrupt that reign of terror, chasing Black Ninja into a boarded-up house. He unmasks Christy, but she leaps out a window and escapes, leaving Yamada to take the fall for her crimes. Yamada talks to Billy after his arrest, and they work out a plan. Get Christy to the old temple with the sword, and Yamada can stop the Black Ninja. Christy beats up Billy, but doesn't kill him for some reason, and flees to the temple where Black Ninja goes back into his corpse, and he and Yamada have a fight to the death, or re-death, in the case of Black Ninja. Black Ninja possesses some local monks, turning them into an army of goons, and Yamada has to fight them off in a cool Ninja Warrior-style course. Billy and Christy have a reunion, then rush outside to gawk as Yamada and Black Ninja run around on a dramatic cliffside and have a sword fight. Black Ninja's disarmed. Christy picks up his blade and rams it into his chest. Black Ninja folds his hands and corkscrews into the ground like a Looney Tunes character. He's like a causing a Causing an earthquake? <laughs> Yamada has to hang on for dear life using his climbing rope. Then, out of nowhere, Black Ninja appears and grabs him by the leg Jason style. But Yamada's ready. Yamada stabs a knife into Black Ninja's brain, and Black Ninja falls to his death, exploding in a shower of bright light. Like the Wraith. <laughs> Just like the Wraith, yes. Yamada slowly crawls up the hillside with absolutely no help from the white people, announces that it's over, either the ninja fight or the movie, bows, and then exits as Billy and Christy kiss, and credits roll. It's like the film cuts off again, though, and they have to freeze frame because I think all these canon films, it's like right up to the last possible frame and then they go away. <laughs> Rom, what you just read <laughs> and described, maybe my favorite plot summary of yours of all time, and it's just a lot longer than what we usually do, but I told you to do that because I have a feeling a lot of people haven't seen this one, but they might be like me, like they're aware of it because of its reputation. Maybe there's all that doc on, on canon films. And we're like, hey, how did this happen? This movie is The Exorcist meets a ninja movie meets like, I don't know, Flashdance or something. <laughs> this movie Basically, is yeah. Crazy. I think I texted you on point and said, this movie is bug nuts. Thank you, $2 to Stuart in LA. But I mean, really, like this movie is crazy. <laughs> yeah, this is this movie. 
and, and the thing is, I I read a lot of things in the plot summary. Number one, it's much crazier than I described, and number two, there's stuff that I, I left out simply because I, it, it's impossible to describe. And this movie's only like 82 minutes long. <laughs> that is the- yes, it is like they took everything that wasn't insane and left it on the cutting room floor. I can only imagine the meeting with Menahem that spawned this idea. <laughs> the Poor James Silky, who's also part of the electrical and camera department, who had to write the script here. Like, I can bet he's, like, picking up, you know, scraps of paper and notes and just, like, the insanity that had to be the this idea. Like, we want a woman with the lead and we must have this ninja and show is going to be there for, like, ten minutes because he's busy doing other things. But he said he would do three days. And we'll go with our <laughs> it girl, Lucinda. And, you know, like, I can only imagine. It's like they had a, yeah, it's like they had a break, uh, when show Kasuge wasn't filming the master, which was later edited into two of my favorite MST3K episodes, master ninja one and master ninja two. Did that Lee Van Cleef thing? Yes. Lee Van Cleef is in it. (laughs) And, and yes, he is a, an old white ninja. That's one of my favorite like spaghetti Western villains. (laughs) I mean, ever. He's, and, and he's great in in The Master, but the show itself is a horrible idea because <laughs> it's the 80s and we can hire Asians to play martial arts guys now. Yeah, but let's not. So, but yeah, it's like they had a, a six-month break where they weren't shooting – or like a three-month break where they weren't shooting Flashdance. So they've got Lucinda Dickey hanging around the offices. Shokasuga drops in after – no, no. <laughs> After completing Lucinda, the master. No, hold on, my friend. Lucinda's not hanging around the canon offices. 1984 is the year of Lucinda Dickey, okay? I didn't realize you could do this, but she had a movie and its sequel in the same year. Breaking and Breaking 2. All right. And then this was like her big star vehicle. And just real quick on Breaking and Breaking 2, because we are never going to review those. I'm just saying that right now. I've seen both of them, okay? And she's like the token white girl in there, Special K, who can't dance, but is taught by the urban kids how to how to break dance because she's an aerobics instructor dancer. And Lucinda, in her own right, is a trained dancer. So she's like, she did Grease 2. Maybe we may do that one day. But breaking and breaking two are all about like we heal racial diversity by by the dance, uh, which is you know somehow a worse idea than what Beat Street had, which is another terrible idea of a film. And that was the film they were trying to chase and beat. And I'm going to tell all of you now, Beat Street, and then like a bar drop to breaking and breaking two, and you should never watch any of them. So moving on, moving back to this though, they go to her as like, okay, now Lucinda, you will be the ninja and the head of ninja. And th- I mean, this crazy, insane plot. I can only imagine what she had to be thinking looking at this. Cause like breaking, like you want me to dance? Okay. Like, yeah, I do that. Like that's, that makes sense. Right. Do you want me to be a ninja? <laughs> like you imagine what Shokazuki said when he saw her? Cause she is pretty athletic and she does a lot of her own stunts and stuff, but still she's not a ninja necessarily. But it's to the movie's credit. They at least got someone who can wear the suit and, and, walk at the same time unlike franco nero yeah you think they figured that out like these movies have nothing to do with each other other than the word ninjas in them 
right? But like Franco Nero was just the guy when they took the ninja's face off because Mike Stone couldn't act. That's the only reason he's in it, right? So the second time around, they figured out, well, let's just make show the the lead because he's obviously the guy. And now he's not available. So we go with, well, she's a gymnast, basically. So it's not that different. And you're right. There's a lot of times she's in the suit, in the the black ninja garb, which I thought it was green. You said it was gray. It's, I don't know. Maybe it faded in the wash or something. I don't know. But <laughs> they need to use Woolite. But you can tell it's her. Like she does a lot of her own stuff. Of course they And that's that's really to her credit, because she's not bad when she she can throw at least she can throw a high kick. Yeah. And no. they, they don't have to <laughs> cut away as much. Yeah, no, she she can move around and she does like when she's the ninja, she actually does more like gymnast type things than she does karate or anything. I mean she's pretty good with that sword and I, they obviously taught her how to do that, but uh, she's not awful as a, i'm saying this and i want to say this very clearly i'm not going to tell you this woman gives a good performance because okay? it's not but she's doing the best with what she has because the dialogue they asked this woman to spit out is amazingly terrible it's not necessarily her fault because i don't think you could like i don't think you, if you gave the script to meryl streep i think she would like piss down her leg at it because it's <laughs> it's not it, it was a script written by a, a, who, someone who is obviously a, a cameraman. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I mean, I don't know that there was a script. Like, I, okay. So we got to start with like what happens here. Okay. So the, the opening of this movie, okay, is this like Mercedes driving through the desert, which this is supposed to be LA, but they shot this in Phoenix, is what you told me offline, right? Yeah. They shot this, uh, they shot part of it in LA, but I think most of it was shot in Phoenix because I don't think there are many giant desert canyons in LA. No, like, but this is supposed to be LA, but like they play it off. Like this is supposed to be LA. I'm like, why don't you just make it Phoenix? Like who cares? I'm, nobody's going to care, but whatever. I mean, it's, it's not like you're, you know, it's not like Salt Lake city, yeah, but they are driving through the desert. That looks like the beginning of the Wraith, by the way, which is in Arizona. And this, this guy goes into like a hidden cave while music that sounds like Halloween three outtakes mixed with mission and action outtakes goes and ninjas up and the black ninja i know from something ron this david chung was one of like the big bad guys in mission in action too and i only know that because i've seen oh, that movie wow. way too many times clearly <laughs> but i was like i know this guy i think he was in a mission in action movie looked it up sure enough i'm like yes i knew he's one of colonel Tin's like henchmen or something i forget how he dies i'm sure it's gruesome and chuck norris involved but you know maybe one day we'll we'll get around to that but he goes in like i'm like he's got the magic cave of wonders for like all of his ninja shit <laughs> yeah like, he's got a a random like light box in there with his ninja supplies in it. Yeah, it's like he walks into a cave. Okay, I want to take film strip listeners way back in the Wayback Machine. Go back to the original Leprechaun that Brian and I reviewed. The opening of that movie where little old Warwick Davis is crawling down this little hole. That's the same scene that we're talking about here. It's like a little cave, but it's a ninja cave. And like you said, and I thought, honestly, with the light off of it and stuff i thought is he like wearing all white that's gonna look really weird you know but no it's a grayish green thing yeah i'm not even sure what color it's supposed to be but like his his credit is black ninja i know i'm like maybe that suit might have been black one day they bleached it because it is not they they mixed it with uh uh 
Franco Nero's stuff or something. Because, I mean, again, these movies are made on the cheap and they're made so darn fast. Who knows, right? I'm sure they were just like, hey, go with it. <laughs> Nobody cares. Because he doesn't yeah. get a name in the movie. so No, he doesn't get a name at all. He's He is literally just called Black Ninja. And what happens next over the next, like, five minutes? The golf course massacre, as I called it. Okay, we get we get swords, we get throwing stars, we get a blow dart gun into a gun barrel that blows up in somebody's face. I mean, last time we had like a ninja spit a bunch of like blades into somebody's face. So this is the next evolution. The ninja goes incredible hulk on a golf cart, picks it up, throws people off of it. He jumps on top of a cop car, katanas one guy through the roof, puts his fist through the other roof, punches the guy, then kicks the cop car into like a Smokey and the Bandit style wreck off of the seventh uh, hole water hazard. Which was amazing. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was Hal Needham like came by for the day and he directed that scene. Um, and I just want to know how much did they have to pay to that golf course to drive all over the greens like that, man? <laughs> I mean, they wrecked like the seventh hole at TPC Sawgrass or something. I mean, if they if they shot it in Phoenix, it wasn't probably that great of a golf course to begin with. So it was in an terms extra of, from Caddyshack too, yeah, or something. But no, th- you have all of that. That is not even the half of it, though, because this is supposed to be because he's there to kill a rich scientist. Like they never tell us what the hell this is for. Like there's a drop line later, something about a Japanese mafia hit. But I'm not wrong, right? We never know why he's there to kill these two yuppies and then a bunch of cops. And and to be honest. I, I've since I've watched this movie a dozen times, and this is the first time I've ever heard that drop line about this guy being some sort of famous scientist, <laughs> Wait, which you tells just... you how unimportant it really is. I assumed that it was he was it was mafia goons because it looks like mafia goons, well, but see, I guess everybody in 1984 kind of looked like a goon. Could it have been some more of the mafia goons from Part Two? Is that what? I, you know, yeah, that's too. what I thought was happening. I thought, well, this these guys must be some kind of organized crime because look at them. They're playing golf. I mean, to hear the story of part two is that that was a different movie. And then in editing and with a couple of reshoots, they turned it into what we got, which was golden last time, in oh, my yeah. opinion. So I can see that like, OK, we pick up from there and it's more, you know, it's just chaos here. Right. But this ninja takes out a helicopter and one has to be one of the most awesome things ever. He puts the throwing star between his toes and toe throws it into the pilot's face. Which was amazing. The fact that he could even just hold that throwing star uh, with his feet <laughs> was impressive. And then he throws it like that's amazing. I mean, I happen to be married to a woman that has kind of long toes and like Rachel can pinch you with them. Like they're almost like fingers in some ways. It's pretty amazing. So I can I can believe somebody could grip something. But to get the force out of it, <laughs> it's it's unbelievable what we're seeing here. And then the crash of the helicopter is also amazing where the pilot is clearly like, I'm just going to duck in and out of these rocks. And then you guys set off that piece of pyro. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. Like you see the helicopter and the guy inside is clearly, clearly making it like wobble back and forth and look kind of out of control, but never actually out of control. And then he flies over the hill and we get a forced perspective shot of an explosion where you can clearly see like the wadding of the pyro come flying over the the hillside. It's like they it had is, one shot, and it probably wasn't licensed, which is why they had one shot to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's well, I'm sure they got perm. I'm sure they got permits. They it, it can't be that hard to blow things up in in Arizona. 
<laughs> but uh, they probably only had the money to blow it up one time. Yeah, this is true. It's like they had one day. So they, yeah, they had the they, helicopter they, for like an hour. Yeah, yeah, they rented the <laughs> helicopter in one of those rent the helicopter flight for an hour places, and then they decided they talked the guy into appearing in the movie and wearing a cop outfit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the one cop is shooting wildly from there. It all comes down to the where this this ninja gets shot up like Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers style at in, in the end. And I thought like they shot this twice and forgot to edit around it. Because at one point like they gun him down, then he gets back up, kills a bunch of people, and they have to gun him down again. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know if that was deliberate or not because they're in this opening scene. There are a lot of weird little screw ups. Like he kicks a cop off a motorcycle, and then you see a second cut of the cop on the motorcycle again, flying into the lake. Yeah, it's it's very strange. Like what, there's all kinds of just crazy action going on. But like the, the way he escapes is amazing because he throws like a little bomb. A lot of smoke goes around. The cigar chomping cops there. They're firing guns. It's craziness. And what we find is that the ninja has burrowed himself in the ground like a beetle or something. Yeah, uh, in in the in the uh, the notes for this, you put buried into the ground like a tremor, which is <laughs> yes, is exactly accurate. Or like when Wiley e. Coyote is spinning really fast and he ends up in the ground up to his neck. Or or Superman in Superman One when he drills through the the uh, thing to get to Lex Luthor's lair. I mean, that's the same twist around kind of effect, but with you know none of the budget. <laughs> yeah, and they don't actually show him twist around this time. He just he blows up the smoke bomb and then we see him poke his head out of the ground like a uh like the gopher. Yeah, exactly. But it's like he's done it with the katana. It's very it's almost like he blends himself. It's very weird. I mean but there's like all these shots of him like he's hiding in the palm tree and then he pops out and jumps on the helicopter later. It's crazy town what goes on in this intro. And the, all of this to go down where like literally the cops are like, let's go get him. Let's go find him. And they all run off and like all of their dead friends are laying there on the ground. I'm like, nobody's there to secure the crime scene. Yeah. yeah there's a, there's a pile of 30 dead cops and their weapons. Yeah. There's, Just, there's nothing. Nobody's radioing in going like, Hey, like the whole squad's gone. Let's, let's bump up hiring. I mean, really like there's, there's a entire police force is totally wiped out by this guy before they finally shoot him enough. They can, you know, they think he's dead, but he's not dead. So, which is, no, where, he's, yeah, he's merely grievously wounded. Yeah, and, because, and angry about it. Yeah, I know, pissed. And we'll talk about that in a second because now we have to get to Christy, who likes her '80s pop rock while climbing telephone poles. Person, I thought this was going to be a misdirect. Like she, you know, her her outfit looks kind of like what the ninja was wearing, and I thought the cops are going to mistake her and shoot her, thinking she was the ninja, and they're like, "Oh crap!" And that's how we're going to get this crazy plot. But that's not what happens. No, that's the uh, that's the trauma direction. <laughs> there, we, there we go. Well, that would be like RoboCop then, like right? Because the whole thing <laughs> is like she gets possessed by this ninja, so she can go kill all these cops who, who shot him. You know, for they shot him, by the way, because he had murdered people in broad daylight and killed half their friends. That yeah, that's he, why he, cops he murdered shoot you. He <laughs> murdered literally twenty people. I mean, and that's not an exaggeration. That's probably a low estimate. And I mean, all before the nine o'clock tea time. I mean, this is, I can't get over the fact that this is in the morning. All these ninja movies, all this stuff always happens at night, right? I can see Manahem going, no, we do it in broad daylight now. 
you know, to the okay, and they just go with it. Much better blood effects, though. Can I say the blood actually looks like actual blood? Uh, probably because it was made in like America and not that you know they probably brought that blood with them from Hollywood. They didn't have to make it in some Philippine jungle. Yeah, I was, that's a good Cairo mix there. Like that, that looked like it worked. So I, I was impressed. That was Chainsaw and Dave style. Like it, it worked out pretty good. So, but yeah, we get some uh, ninja magic. Yeah, I know. And what's amazing is, you know, the, if you turn on the subtitles, it's all just garbled Japanese anyway. I have no idea, but it looks like he is cursing the hell out of this woman. And you have no idea why. And he just says something and she just locks eyes with him. And then, oh, and then all of a sudden he's slumps back. She's holding the sword and she, this great wind blows upon her. Yeah. And it's, it's complete. It makes absolutely no sense. No. At the time, because it's only later, it, it, it's only after the fact that you you discover that this has somehow he, he's either put the spirit of the of himself into his katana and given the katana to her, or like leaped from his body into her body, like Jason and Jason goes to hell. Speaking of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> crazy overkill murder scenes in the very beginning of a movie. Yes, uh, maybe the people of Jason's goes to hell saw this and were like, we should just redo that. So, because they got the same basic plot, I tend to read this as the spirits in the katana, but because it's like, like the way an electromagnetic pulse works, you know, um, that goes off from the bomb. You usually don't notice that the pulse has happened because the bomb blows everything up, right? But she's sort of blatantly affected by it, but it's later when she grabs the glowing katana and then when her video game machine goes i don't know transfers on her that she's fully possessed by the ninja but i think she's like partially possessed at this point it's very i'm like ninja supernatural possession and that's a new idea i'm like did did one of them watch exorcist 2 a couple weeks before and decide hey you know because home video had just started to be a thing And I remember like seeing the box art for The Exorcist 2 going, oh, that looks so spooky. And then I finally watched it. And I was like, oh, this is so stupid. Well, yeah, Exorcist and Exorcist 2 had been out. Um, uh, Poltergeist had come out two years before. So, uh, See, you just hit on it. I think that's the movie they're really into. Like They're like, we've got to do Poltergeist, but no annoying kids and no clowns. But uh, who made the movie House? Because that seems like more of like the Poltergeist ripoff to me. <laughs> it might have been. Um, it's been a long time since I thought about House um, that you said that, but um, hmm, that was 1985, <laughs> though. So that that came oh. later. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a Steve Miner, Fred Decker action uh, thing right there. But oh, I like Fred. I like Fred, Fred Decker. Decker. Maybe we'll. We'll have to do the 18,000 house movies at I some th- point. I only know that there's two, and <laughs> I hope that would be all that we have. But like Steve Miner, I know from Friday the 13th 2 and Halloween H2O, and uh, he also directed a lot of episodes of a show that I guiltily watched called Switched at Birth. So, And I recognized oh, his name on it. So it's, it's confessions time here on, on Filmstrip. So, um He also did Soul Man, which, you know, might be the most racially insensitive film ever made. So, uh, as, as we, and and, and we're currently watching a movie where there's an Asiatic department of the police. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about, uh, you called him Matt Lauer. I, I thought Billy Secord, the officer, looked a lot like ESPN Radio's Doug Gottlieb, uh, who's actually no longer with ESPN. I guess he's with Fox now, but if you've ever seen Doug. 
That's another hot. That's another great description of him. I mean, he really does uh, look like that that guy. Um, though I don't, I don't think Doug's nearly as creepy as as this dude is. But we'll get to him I mean, in a second. So I guess we'll find that out in time. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like he tries to hit. The, we we do meet Officer Secord because she winds up at the police station, um, in her tank top and and nothing much else. Um, there to give a statement about I don't know the dude was dead and then but like every time she and this is a flashback they repeat throughout the film so many times that like it just becomes nonsensical every time she sees one of the cops that shot the ninja she has like this PTSD flashback <laughs> to being shot as the ninja yeah it's the uh, the RoboCop nightmare yeah it's- uh, except it's each like individual cop you've got like Greasy Papadopoulos, you've got veneers, you've got the two uh, motorcycle cops. You've got the African-American cigar-chewing guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. That looks like um, a, a Ken 4E ripoff, you know? So you've got him. It's all all of that. And, of course, Officer Secord here is hitting on this woman, like, no mercy whatsoever. And to the point that he goes to Aerobics or Us, where she basically makes him drop. <laughs> In the in the purpose of this, by the way, the most uncomfortable aerobics gym ever. There's a reason they put aerobics like in a room you can't see in because if the dudes are like sitting over there pumping iron and like the looks on their eyes, it is really weird and uncomfortable. Like I I was feeling very strange watching that. Yeah, and it only gets maybe that's an '80s thing. I don't know, but it only gets worse because those same guys are so. I assume are so horned up from the uh, aerobics class that they're ready to go outside and rape the first person they can get their hands on. Right, exactly. And then they're going to use uh, Christy for dessert, they say, until she kicks the crap out of all of them. But um, Yeah, she beats up yeah. David Brenner. She beats up uh, uh, steroid Fred the Hammer Williamson. <laughs> yes. All the guys that were probably like jobbers in the AWA – are are the guys that she beats the crap out of here? Uh, yeah, it's de- it's definitely some day players from uh, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. Oh yeah, no doubt. Like these these are not normal human beings. Uh, but she pummels them uh, because she. I mean, like, with a combination of like gymnastics and ninjutsu, and that's the thing I will say again is that they ask her to do stuff, but they don't ask her to do things that she's obviously uncomfortable doing. Like every time Franco Nero tried to do some karate shit, he looked like an idiot. Right. Like we can agree. Like he clearly didn't know what he was doing. Um, but every time she does stuff, it's like, well, that looks like what a gymnast would do. Like she does a parallel bar. She spins around. She kicks one of them. I mean, she's, she's pretty good at, as far as thwarting all of them. And what's amazing is like, there's this, this whole crowd of bystanders watching this go down. And I'm like, too bad. There's not a cop there. Oh, wait a minute. There's Billy. Yeah. Billy's just standing there watching her. Number one, he's standing there watching the beginnings of the assault and he doesn't interrupt. Number two, he stands there and watches Christy beat the crap out of these uh, roid ragers. Right, exactly. And then, quote, arrests her for assault only so he can hit on her some more in his little MG as they drive down the down and out in Beverly Hills uh, lane or something. So like, I expected Nick Nolte to pop out of the side there for a minute. Um, but but, what but, I, but yeah. it's funny because this uh, – I can only imagine that this gymnastics martial arts inspired the creators of the great Jim Cotta. <laughs> you know, it maybe they did. I, ex- honestly, ex- I, I thought Lucinda Dickey is probably like the precursor to the Pink Ranger. So Amy Jo Johnson owes her career to Lucinda Dickey in this movie. So. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's not bad. I'm just putting that out that's there. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. I don't think I'm wrong. Was Shokasugi ever on one of those, by the way? If not, they missed a chance. <laughs> no, but, but Kane Kasuge, his son, ends up going to Japan and being one of the, uh, yeah, in like the Super Sentai, what, what's the name? And show was on one of like a did like a voiceover work on one of those things. Oh, okay. Like, and uh, he was in the Ultraman TV series, also doing a voice. Okay, see, I can see all of that. Like, it makes total sense, right? But he was doing the martial arts part, which is weird. But I think he might have been working behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, on some of it, no, he wasn't. But I think his son—that's when his son was working on like Super Sentai. So. Oh wow! Anyway. Uh, see, it all ties together. Can you get over how 80s this chick's apartment is, though, man? Like, everything from the little light-up uh, artwork to the garish color scheme. The weird picture of David, of uh, not David Bowie, but it looks like if you mash David Bowie together with Annie Lennox. Yes, yeah, with the sunglasses that light up and then her, like, uh, fuchsia bed slash futon. The <laughs> fact that she, the fact that her phone is a, is a payphone. Uh, yeah. The fact that she's got uh, a bouncer machine. Yeah. Uh, the, the video the fact- game that never made it. They got they got it on the console. I'm sure they were like, oh, yes, this will be great. You know, we'll have it out there. The kids will love it. And then the game never gets made. <laughs> but she plays it. Like, she has moments of play. I'm like, why can't she, like, be playing, like, Kung Fu or something in a, in a console? That would make more sense, right? Because they do this whole bit about, like, she's obsessed with, like, Japanese culture. But that's nothing new. Like, she just gets more obsessed once she's obsessed, you know, possessed with the ninja stuff. Like, she's got all this faux Japanese stuff all over her apartment anyway. Yeah, she's uh, yeah, she's obsessed with Japanese. Maybe that's the cover for the sword, so that way it's not weird that she has a random samurai sword in her in her closet. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's I mean, again, it, it makes as much sense as anything else. I mean, she's got Muzak playing in the background here. Which, by the way, I don't know if you listen to it or not. The song that plays when she's like doing the aerobics work or whatever, it's a song all about how like you're a fat, out of shape bum and you should kill yourself if you're not working out. And all, I mean, like it's a really darkly comedic uh, 80s warm up song. It's really weird. I did not. I've never paid attention to any of the music you in this. You need to just, go back and listen to the lyrics of that. Cause it's like your sex life is lousy because you eat too many potato chips and shit like that. Is nuts. But I was like, where did they get this? <laughs> like, how did they get somebody to do this? I mean, the it, insane shit store. I guess. <laughs> That's probably the, their effects department. <laughs> I mean, co- cocaine R us. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it could, it could be right. So, so she brings Billy back to her apartment, and she becomes like, I don't know, man, kind of like Sigourney Weaver when she gets possessed in Ghostbusters and goes total horn dog on uh, uh, Bill Murray. I mean, she comes out of the shower. She's got on a towel and underwear. She puts on that weird flannel, and then. The least sexy body oh. shot idea of all oh. time. She pours V8 down her chest so he can lick it off of her. It's I mean, okay. Look, I don't like V8. I'm just no. I that is like it's like taking tomato sauce and <laughs> just rubbing it on yourself. Oh no, tomato sauce is is sexier because at least that's <laughs> gonna stay where you put it, or at least kind of stay where you put it. It's 
Oh, oh. Okay. I used to like I used to like V eight, but not anymore. I, I didn't think you could ever get me to watch a film that had a more repugnant sex scene in it than the room, Ron, but congratulations, you've done it. <laughs> so this this is the most if, if only if only Tommy Wiseau had had some uh <laughs> some clamato or some Mr. and Mrs. T's Bloody Mary mix. You wonder if like Juliet was like, nah, nope. <laughs> not doing that. So. Well, they do eat the strawberries together, which is the, also they gross. Do, they do have the strawberries together. By the way, uh, folks, a little a little un, unpaid advertisement. Go see Disaster Artist. That looks amazing. Uh, that may be James Franco's best work ever. Uh, we're uh, we made plans to go see. We're going to be in in New York next week. Oh, fantastic! Uh, and we're going to go to the Alamo Draft House. Uh, to see the disaster artists on opening weekend. So oh, that will be fantastic. So meanwhile, back at, uh, Carnosaur Ninja three, uh, here, um, <laughs> show Kasugi shows up at, at an airport with an eye patch that looks like, I don't know, a belt buckle on his face or something. What the hell is this thing, man? I don't know, but it does look, what it looks like to me is we see him later in the movie use his, uh, Ninja Star belt buckle again. Yes, and it's and I kept waiting for him to pull that thing off of that eye patch and like hurl it to kill someone, and he never does, and it's kind of disappointing. It is. I I wanted him to go for that at the end, maybe to kill or, off the ninja, but. or like to pull the eye patch up and there be like a little dark gun or something or a little <laughs> like sex machine. He has something something under. Yeah, like a <laughs> like a sex machine or like the uh, the weird wrist mounted crossbow thing that the dude wears in. Uh, uh, Road Warrior. Yes, yeah, it could be one of those kind of things. Exactly. So I, I wanted something more out of that, but I think it's just I mean, everything I read about it was Shokasugi said, "No, this guy should have an eye patch." So they shoot this like weird flashback scene where he's being like drawn and quartered, but the ninja shows up and throws something in his eye while he kills like his friends or his family or something. What happened? What is that? Was that Nam? What the hell is going on? Uh, he's. I don't know because they don't say who that old guy is, but yeah. Shokasugi is very upset about his murder. So I assumed it was either his father or, in true martial arts movie fashion, his mentor. I was going to say, it's probably his master, right? And then he's there to like, he comes in kind of like the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Like he's been brought in by these people in full Japanese garb to like clean up this mess because this is where we get the drop line about a murdered scientist or a mafia hit or so- something. Uh, this is the part um well no cuz we get the the scientist part happens in the police station i think this is where we get the part about the japanese mob being involved yeah cuz they say it's, it's a long story we'll tell you later as they walk out of the airport to never tell us later <laughs> and i made a note of that yeah. it's like what 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 were you going to tell me later is that cut no they probably never shot that they probably borrowed these people for like half a minute and shot that in an airport and then <laughs> you know ran out at the local municipal airport but uh, the movie that we like, we're skipping part of what goes on because there's a lot of time spent in this movie with um, Christy and Billy. The, yeah, trying to like you know have a relationship, and that's what they waste their time on in this movie. For a movie that's only 82 minutes long, it wastes 20 minutes on something it didn't need. I'm like, I don't, I, I'm fine. They hook up, fine, whatever. Like, let that be. I, I didn't need more relationship stuff with them because he is so annoying in this movie. Like, he cares about her because he goes from like. I don't know, weird stalker boy to actually like caring about her because he takes her to Japanese mystics to find out what the hell's wrong with her. But he never really does anything useful <laughs> to help her. No, we don't. I mean, Billy's role aside from the V eight 
splash uh, could have been handled by that roommate friend girl we see in the very beginning of the movie who disappears. Right, yeah, yeah, who's that girl? I'm like, is that just friend over from work? Like some friend you are because he calls her and she hangs up on him and then they go to aerobics class. It's, I don't know, very, yeah, because that woman never shows back up. I'm like, that must have yeah, just she could, coming through. So. I mean, and that's, I mean, she's already, uh, Christy's into Japanese stuff. Maybe she just knows James Hong. Maybe that's it. Go, right? Yeah. You don't, you can cut Billy out and you can cut that girl out and she just goes to see James Hong on her own. Look, we're going to get to James Hong and his relationship to the police in just a minute, but we have to talk about how the bouncer video game goes poltergeist on her and the floating sword that happens because they do nothing to try and hide the fact that this is on strings and <laughs> sliding across that woman's ceiling. It is, yeah. it is the worst effect in the sword. The sword is clearly on a fishing line. There's clearly a smoke machine in the bottom of that, the bouncer console. And then they, they are blatantly just shining lights on her face to throw like a pattern on her face. It's like they got that, that mood light thing, like at a Spencer's, you know, it looks like almost like if you've seen the beginning of aliens, the little scanner thing that goes across Sigourney Weaver or whatever, it's that same like light thing. And I remember those from Spencer's. Yeah. They still have them. But less good. So yes, yeah. But somehow, somehow dumber. Uh, so like the wind blows on her, and that's when like they paint like wings on her eyes, and she does her eyes like Chrissy Costanza from Against the Current, and that's when she becomes sort of Asian. You know, so they go. It's almost like putting on blackface or something. They do Asian face on Christy, but she's still clearly just but, a white girl from Kansas. But they <laughs> don't. Com- but they don't even commit to full Asian face. No, they just get. They just do vaguely Asian face, like. Maybe Black Ninja just really digs chicks with eyeliner. I mean, she has, like, Lucinda Dickey has big, pretty, round eyes. Like, she does. And they try to, like, slant them, but all they do is just make them, like, rectangular. <laughs> so it doesn't yeah, really they just work. tell her to kind of squint, and she does. It was, yeah, but she I wasn't, sort of does. So. But I wasn't sure if that was related to her trying to look Asian or just the fact that they were blowing a fan in her face. It probably was a combination of both. She might not have been able to see at that point either. But this is what I wrote down. She puts on ninja garb, goes out seeking revenge against the cops, and this movie goes bug nuts. I told her to Stewart in L.A. Because the like the setup this cop has in his house, by the way, he's got like a bar pool table. You know, complete with Miller Lite overhang, you know, light and everything. And he's shooting pool in his boxers and and, and the beaded hair. curtain. Don't forget yes. the beaded curtain. Oh yeah, how can we forget it? And she goes in there and chops his pool cue in half, beats the crap out of him, and kills him by throwing him out of a window. Yeah, uh, which is pretty, uh, which is pretty amazing because that's uh, there. Th- <laughs> that's one of the worst cut to a stuntman falling out of a window sequences even by canon standards it's terrible yeah do you think the stuntman weighs at least 50 pounds less than the actor he's supposed to be <laughs> i mean he doesn't look if, anything yeah. like him <laughs> well here's the thing uh when she pushes him you see the old guy just kind of fall against the wall and then they they do a a, a smash cut to outside and you see the stuntman hurling himself through the window unassisted yeah it's like he came off of like a catapult and went backward through the window, Jason style or something. No, they, they they can't afford a catapult. They just told him to jump out the window. <laughs> he did. I hope it was at least balsa wood and sugar glass for the poor guy. <laughs> so the revenge plot kicks in 
you know, Christy shows up with all these weird bruises, beat the hell all the time. And just like, no, I'm fine, Billy. It's cool. And Billy with the hairiest shoulders in the world to crown. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He uh, clearly they didn't have any money in the budget to shave his yak like shoulders. <laughs> and I mean, I'm a I'm a hairy guy. Uh, uh, but I but man, Billy is is. It's definitely got me beat. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm looking at that like, man, I can't touch that. <laughs> That's no, that man's got rugs on his shoulders. <laughs> yeah, he looks he 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 looks like a Greek. I mean, yeah, and he probably is. Like I, Jordan Bennett is probably not his name. Okay, uh, I don't know what it really is, but I'm sure that wasn't what he was born with. So. Um, yeah, so the revenge plot kicks in now, and now we get the hot tub murder spree. You called these two women hookers. I thought they were just like, you know, competing girlfriends because they talk so much shit at Christy when she rolls into the pool with them. Yeah, that's a good point. I wasn't sure who they, what they were, but I don't think Officer Veneers could like <laughs> pull two attractive women like that unless. They were bought and paid for. I thought that maybe they were upset that Christy was going to come in and, and take away some of their check. Well, they were just like, oh, you can have him, honey, whatever. I kind of thought they were like his two you know, squeezes or whatever. I don't know. It was very, I mean, you get like this. I thought for a minute she was going to make out with all of them. Like, I really thought, and I realized that, wait a minute, this is 1984. We weren't ready to do that yet. But they were dangerously close to going there, I thought. Yeah, it definitely threatened that at every point, uh, and and you know, I guess they 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 didn't want to you know go full basic instinct. I'm sure they had enough problems with all the people who get ninja stars jammed in their eyes. Right, exactly. So we we don't have full nudity in this movie like we did last time. We just get a lot of bathing suit and, and underwear action here and stuff. But what we do get is more ninja crap because like we talked about all the stuff that's in the lair that she gets. She apparently gets the ninja poison ring thing, which I'm like, that's some fast poison, man. That works pretty good. Yeah, but that was cool because that's a – Mm-hmm. A ninja weapon. We did. I don't. That's one of the few things that ninjas use that I don't think we saw in in Revenge of the Ninja. I don't yeah. remember there being a poison ring. No, I think you even called that out. Like one of the things we didn't get. So I was like, well, and when I saw it, I said, oh, there it is. So I was like, somebody else must have been thinking, hey, we didn't get the poison ring last time. We need to get it. Maybe Shokasugi was like, you should probably try the poison ring, guys. That's something you hadn't done yet. So and they, they, I, I mean, that makes that makes more sense than any other explanation. So like that, that was when he showed up for his his ten minutes of shooting. I know. Like, well, he also shows up as a character to do like some crime scene investigation. And I wrote in my notes, like he got there before the cops. And that's before I realized, wait a minute, half the police force is dead. So there are no cops to show up. Yeah. And the other half, and the other half is out fraternizing with what may or may not be prostitutes. Exactly. Right. Or waiting and, to be and, murdered. Yeah. And, and <laughs> going to the store to buy more V8. <laughs> yeah. So when all else fails, consult the local Japanese mystic, which you call this is part of the what Asiatic department in the police department. The what? Uh, yeah, no. Billy knows a guy in the Asiatic department who knows James Hong. <laughs> now As I said earlier he came off of Big Trouble in Little China. That is a couple of years later, so maybe he wasn't doing that then. But this was the warm up for it. <laughs> I mean, there are literally five whole Asians in the movie. Yeah, I don't. Uh, three of those are those guys at the airport, Shokasugi, and then uh, Black Hong. Ninja, and, and then James Hong. Yeah, but you don't like. 
that's what makes me think more than anything else. This is supposed to be L.A. That and the fact that they show him driving down a road line with palm trees. But I imagine they could do that in the desert as well. Yeah. Um, they have. Is this a thing that was a real thing? I don't see how that could be your like. I would think that you would have a Japanese relations department. Like I could see that calling it the Asiatic sounds like something some idiot from Canon would would call it. I mean, that's just what I wrote wrote it off as. It's like, well, that's probably what these idiots thought it was called. So, because I mean, maybe in like, I don't know, maybe in like nineteen forties Japan or like you know, you might have something like that. But like, well, I I like the idea though that. The, he takes her here and he ties her up and I wrote down the words 50 shades of ninja exorcism because uh, he basically ties her up in like a, you know, spread swing and she, he brings out the evil spirit. And I will say this, that's one thing this movie did is they dubbed the black ninja's voice or somebody doing a, probably Shokasugi doing like an angry Japanese speaking English voice and her voice together to do this screaming no, at James Hong. That was well, good sound editing. Well, it sounded like David Chung, uh, who's, who plays the Black Ninja. It sounded like his voice. Okay, well, they, they did a really good job of dubbing that together. I'm like, you know, this is not the kind of movie that I think would spend any money on its overdubs or anything like that. Whoever was sound engineering that day, bravo. As someone who does sound and, and has to edit and things like that, that's not easy to do. And it matches up really well and it vacillates. Like her voice gets louder, his gets louder, and it goes back and forth. And I, I actually thought that was probably the best scene. That really was one of the best, at least, um, possession scenes for sure. And it's probably, that's probably the best technical achievement in the movie because that. That does look really good, and it sounds great. I mean, they spin her around, and she's like, please help me. And I'm like, well, that's overdubbed. But, you know, they're, they're spinning her around and all this crazy stuff. And I love, like, his thing is like, she is possessed by a ninja. Only a ninja can beat a ninja. It's pretty much like, yeah, you're screwed, Billy. Sorry. You know, like, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, better get your 20 bucks back from James Hong. Exactly. Yeah, can I get a refund on that? So, Who, I don't know if he's ever is. He has a name in the movie credits, but I don't believe anyone ever says his name. I thought I heard it once, but I, I would I don't know what it is. Mishiyama, I don't who cares? It doesn't matter. He's James Hong. So I mean he's he's in one scene, exactly. So that's it. But now we get the funeral attack. And this is what's awesome is is Billy is trying to find you know, cause, cause he, uh, James Hong says, if you know where the sword is, maybe I can, you know, help you. They they arrest Yamada though, at this point. And that's where Billy gets that bit of information. Is yeah, if you bring yeah. me the sword, I can help you bring her to the old temple or whatever. And yeah, bring her to the old temple and bring me the sword. Exactly. And we're going to talk about his escape scene in a sec, but we've got to talk about that funeral attack, okay? Because she goes to the funeral, and I mean, it's arrows and blood everywhere. She kills. There's a We break a tombstone in half. I mean, this, it is a crazy fight. Yeah, we, uh, we kill at least half a dozen cops with arrows. Yeah, but they were all the ones uh, that shot the ninja, so they, they deserved it? <laughs> I mean... Question, question mark? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they're not all the guys who shot the ninja, because she... One of the guys, uh, it misses, and it kills just a random dude with glasses. <laughs> like a random cop with glasses, uh, who I don't think was involved. But, yeah, she eventually kills more of the guys who killed uh, Black Ninja. And then we get the an absolutely insane chase through a cemetery and 
you know, you questioned how they got to shoot on the golf course earlier. Who, what kind of cemetery would say, yes, please smash a fake tombstone and drive crazily through shady acres, <laughs> eternal rest home or whatever. Can, can I tell you, I don't think they asked anyone. <laughs> I think they showed up and shot it and it being, you know, Phoenix or LA or whatever. They were just like, eh, you know, I mean, they're just used to it. I really, I don't know though. This looks kind of like what the back lot of Buffy was for many years with the fake, you know, gravestones and stuff. It was just one little area, like a little garden. Yeah, maybe they set up just set up some fake, uh, set up fake tombstones for the uh, well, car I mean, they're, chase. They're doing the the funeral and they're reading like Psalm twenty three, and they they flub that all up. <laughs> they get they get half of it backwards, and then the ninja shows up, and that's you know ends the whole thing. But Yamada intervenes. You know, and he he gets good punches in before he gets arrested. But I want to talk about his escape from the cops. He has like all these devices <laughs> hidden on him so that he can dart the cops, knock them out. He basically, you know, does he kill them or does he knock them all out so he can steal the cop car and go to the Jedi Temple? I mean, the Ninja Temple. I don't think he. I don't think he killed any of them. Okay, so it was all it was all stun. So. Yeah, it's it's uh, ninja knockout juice. Yeah, so she gets possessed. Secord tries to intervene. She almost kills him, but she stops. Like she almost katana's him. And I was like, "Damn it! I really wanted Billy to get his face cut off." I, I kind of did too, and I'm disappointed that they suggested that the power of love is what stopped the blade because yeah. he he yells her name, and then it's when the blade stops, just inches from you know cutting him a second mouth where his right. neck used to be exactly and so she runs away so we we go like i said we get the showdown at the old ninja temple or as i put in my notes the old jedi i mean ninja temple you know and i i don't really understand what happens here the yamada has stolen the bullet-ridden body from the morgue of the black ninja so that he can reanimate it with like um a prayer or some the force something it, yeah his, he wants to get black ninja out of christy and back into his body so he can kill him so he's also like a practitioner of witchcraft too like isn't that like competing religions ninjutsu and witchcraft uh i mean you know maybe it's all chi i don't know we, <laughs> yeah. we do see christy fly <laughs> uh during that funeral fight because she leaps uh uh to the top of a tree and then leaps onto a car. See, that's the thing. Like this ninja was already Superman anyway. Like we've already established that. So I get the fact that she's got like Kryptonian power <laughs> when she's but, possessed by the ninja. But maybe all ninja have Kryptonian power. Oh yeah, we you know we've never been told otherwise. So that's right. well, that's how you know that uh, Yamada's a ninja. Yeah, because only a ninja can kill a ninja, and only ninjas have magic. Right. Right. Ninjas and, and also James Hong. You know, I've talked about before, like when the ninjas do battle in these movies, that they're always really quick. I'm I'm really glad that the Yamada Black Ninja fight goes on for several minutes. Like there's several stages to it. It's like several boss fights, and I don't. Well, I wonder it, it, if like they had played video games. Like no, it's got to escalate. Like this is Shokasugi's basically clips reel of of him and and David Chung just going at each other for thirty minutes. Well, I think that also a lot of it has to do with the fact that Yamada is basically a zombie. <laughs> is that what it is? I was going to ask you. you is well, you see him get like you see him get like slashed uh, several times in blows that would should kill a normal person, but he they don't 
kill Yamada. He gets an arrow from Christy at one point too and survives that. You're right. So I yeah, guess stabbed through the chest. Uh, he gets slashed before Yamada even resurrect. Uh, Yamada takes over the minds of all those uh, younglings. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Before boy, they go down like cannon fodder, man. <laughs> well, that was their point. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I but notice that Yamada doesn't kill those guys either. No. No. He he's just he's got like a. Way. Yeah, he's got a bow staff. He's not got like a, you know, and he doesn't have like an aginta or, or whatever. It's like a, sh- a sharp blow to the head would bring them back into normalcy. You know, he literally that. knocks some sense into them. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, Black Ninja can only spread his spirit around uh, as so far because he's got to retain enough to be his own. Right. Like, that's what I took it as is like he can infect them enough to like control them briefly. But they get a good sharp blow to the head. I was like, yeah, that, that one's gone. You know, because well, he's still got to do enough to make, you know, he's got to animate his own body again. And we see Christy like resist it. Yeah. Just through the power of dance. Yes, because she, yeah, she, she flash danced basically. The only thing missing was the pull chain with the water and the chair. And that's how she resists being repossessed by the ninja. Yeah, Which, and I, I mean, did, I guess Lucinda, they were like, Lucinda, we, we got to do something. She's like, look, I can dance. And they're like, well, yeah, obviously, you're the breaking girl, so go for it. So, Which yeah, I, I'm I, gonna be, I was disappointed sing. she didn't break out some breakdance moves. I was like, come on, just a little bit, just for the audience. Come on. That would have been cool. And I did sing uh, Maniac a couple of times <laughs> it was during the, these dance routines. Someone listening to this, please recut this scene to Maniac and put it on YouTube, please. That would be awesome. It's going to be way better than the soundtrack here, which, again, is just outtakes of Halloween 3 and Mission in Action. That's <laughs> some random bad 80s pop songs. Oh, I mean, I can only imagine the commissioning that went into that. But she runs the Black Ninja through with the sword, right? And that's when he drills himself into the earth. <laughs> yes, he... he- puts his hands together in uh one of the like the one of the ninja poses that we saw were introduced to in the very first enter of the ninja yeah and then he spins himself into the ground right and you said like and he causes an earthquake and i was like well it is california <laughs> i mean like you can dig a hole in your backyard and cause an earthquake so because that's what you yeah get but, I mean, I, but i mean i guess it's technically phoenix because it doesn't <laughs> look like california at all i don't think there are a lot of like canyons in california <laughs> i mean like there the, may be like the moral hills though man that's not held together by much you know it slips a rock that's falls and the next thing you know you're you're trapped by one so you know yeah so. that's, that, that, that's probably where they were testing uh early prototype of fracking yeah there you go so so he he, he falls down but you called it out right just when you think yamada who's hanging on you know by his his bat cable basically uh is getting away the black ninja grabs his ankle and that's when he has to go like okay crocodile dundee style i'm done and he puts that knife through his head and twists it and i was like oh that that'll do it well i mean that's the only way to put down the zombies you gotta kill the head that's right yeah i was like well you gotta gotta go for the head right so that's that would be the death blow but is it because he disappears like the wraith so is he dead i mean to never be continued we'll never know yeah, which is sad because I don't I don't see how this movie didn't make money. It did. I, I know it I know it made money, but I don't know. I I think this was at the time when Golden Globus was on the downhill slope. 
It's actually right before it, okay? Because this is when they start putting out like 25 movies a year and they start all bombing on them and stuff. So they, they were doing good and then they took the tank down. But like 84 to 86, man, their output is extensive. So, and, and most of them are complete bombs. So this is, I mean, they, they blew all the money this made on several other bad things that we'll probably review next year. So. Well, I think, I think also, um, one of their main financiers, uh, the bank collapsed because of fraud. Oh, and yeah. they were, yeah, yeah they were, uh, they were, uh, the, one of the banks that was funding Canada was, uh, money laundering for organized crime. <laughs> Could have been its own movie. Yeah, but Canada couldn't have afforded to make it by this point. <laughs> no, I, well, I mean, I wondered if like they weren't caught in the savings and loan crash of the eighties, right? So, it's like nineteen eighty nine, black. Monday. I think. Yeah. I think shortly after this, they decided to make like actual like. Uh, they, they they decided to put some of their money on in making artistic movies because <laughs> they do like uh, an Othello. That was nominated for a Golden Globe. They did. Uh, they won the 1987 Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film with a Dutch movie that I want to say was one of like Paul Verhoeven's. Uh, no, Fonz Rademacher. Mm. But anyway, uh, they do like a serious movie in the Netherlands. Um, this is about the time that they decided to pay. Uh, uh, Marvel a fortune to do a Spider-Man movie. This was also a year before they made Life Force, which also tanked them and destroyed what was Superman 4 to be. So they had that. This was before they made Death Wish 3 and Invasion USA. Masters of the Universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah that one came down. It's, like, if you go through Golden Globus's uh, output, by the way, you can see, like, a random Charles Bronson movie, and you're like, this is when they called Chuck back to try to make some money. You know, so... Um, this is before the great Cobra, though, of 1986, which you, we are going to do that one day. I'm, I'm putting that down on the table now. That's uh, uh, exciting. Yes, so I can't wait to talk about that. But, yeah, this is before they completely collapse. But... I mean that that's where the movie ends though. I guess we're to believe that uh this has made Billy and and Christy so much closer. This all this random murder that they've been involved in. <laughs> yeah, they definitely uh fall in love, I guess. I mean, Billy's got to be the chief of police at this point. There's nobody left. I mean, is there anybody left? The death sergeant is probably the only one left. So Billy's deputy chief. So <laughs> at this point, well, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, popcorn ratings. So Ron, what are yours for Ninja three, the domination? Oh man. Um, so, um, I'm never quite sure how to rate certain movies on a popcorn scale because I'm not sure if I'm enjoying them for the reason I'm supposed to enjoy them. But, uh, <laughs> I gotta give this one an extra large popcorn as well. I think Revenge of the Ninja is a better movie, but Ninja Three is literally insane. Like it is the most. It is like cocaine. If cocaine made a movie, this would be that flick because it is. It is. It's. It's literally a, a demonic possession dance ninja movie, and also. Uh, an action comedy because it's it's every literally every genre of movie mashed into one 
and it is just it's phenomenal because it's insane i agree with you this movie is crazy no doubt about it. And in a series that has been crazy films, but I can't, I don't, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did Revenge of the, I bought the DVD to Revenge of the Ninja. Okay. So like that, I own that now. This one, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch it again. Like it, it was fun to finally see it because yeah, I'd heard so much about it and I'd seen you know, the clips of it here and there and stuff. It was fun to finally watch it. And it is as crazy as advertised. I don't know that it was as good as Revenge of the Ninja. I know I didn't enjoy it as much in as I did Revenge of the Ninja, but it's still good. And I'll tell you what I would have liked more, what would, would push it to extra large popcorn territory for me, would be if there was more Shokasuki. I really missed him in this. He's not in it enough. And I know he wasn't because he was busy doing something else. But I really missed him. I, I wanted more of him in here. But what I got was good enough. I'll give it a large because it was a very fun thing to watch. I, I think you have to grade these sometimes as just part of the series that they're a part of. Like this is like in no way in comparison to like passive glory, which is a movie I've reviewed earlier this year that Stanley Kubrick, which is a beautiful and very sad and, and somber film that I gave a really, you know, high rating to as well. It's not anywhere near that. Okay. But inside of this series, it's really, really fun and really good. And for as bad of mess as, Lucinda Dickey's asked to deliver here. I think she does a decent enough job and I had fun with it again. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but it was fun the one time through. So I'll give it a large popcorn and I, yeah, I can't believe it, man. These, you know, we did the American Ninja series and those were mostly crap you know, the whole way through. And I'm not saying these aren't, but this was so much more fun this time around. I think because they completely embrace their ninjaness. I really think that America deserves uh, us doing um, Pray for Death, another Shokasugi movie. I think we should just go through the show uh, <laughs> filmography and just do every movie he made. Well, that we'll put that one on the list for 2018 like, for sure. Like we got to do. Like I think we got to bring Ninja Vember back. I think we got to do Pray for Death. I think we got to do um, uh, Black Eagle because it's Shokasugi fighting Van Damme. Oh, now that, you know what, that, this might be a fun thing to bring around next February. We'll do nin, ninjuary, you know, and then do but it I thought, But I was hoping that February would be Black Exploitation History Month. But. <laughs> uh, we'll have to talk about that one some other time. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I... I would be down to see more Shokasugi output. Sure. I, I have enjoyed him. I put it out there earlier. Eventually we've got to do this, at least two of the missing, missing in action films. I don't know about that third one. I don't know if I ever want to live through that again, but that first one and that second one are just a great story because they were supposed to be each other's sequel. And so uh, that's another story for another day, but that's all in 2018. We still got stuff in 2017 here, Ron. We got fun things going on. I mean, we're, we're here at the end, but you know, what's coming up in December we got the last Jedi. So Kurt and Nick and I'll, we'll put that one out, but uh, you know, it's time for our annual holiday trash film, right? And we're not doing one <laughs> that's, uh, you know, directly assaulting uh, Christmas this year. We're going to do a Ben Affleck joint called reindeer games. Yes, um, which I, it's a movie I greatly enjoy because of its. It's also ridiculous, 
and that uh, my wife was super excited when I told her that our next recording was going to be Reindeer Games. Oh, that's awesome. Because I feel so bad sometimes. I feel like we drag Holly and everybody through some of these awful things. But I tell her, I tell her she's free to, free to leave at any point. She, she is, she is not chained up. Uh, James James Hong style to, <laughs> to the posts of my house. Your wife, your wife is like the silent member of Filmstrip then because all the other wives have long since bugged out on the stuff that we review. Like Rachel does not watch any of this stuff with me anymore. I don't think Katie or, or Brian's wife Holly watch any of these things anymore with them. So uh, we, we Holly is hanging in there strong. So. Uh, which is good to know. So, well, now you gave it, you know, she didn't like the last Teen Ninja movie. So, what is, you said y'all watched this one several times. This one's a, a keeper for her? Um, I don't think she loves it like I do, but I think she definitely appreciates the ridiculousness of it. And we had, it's been a long time since you've watched it. So, and she kind of conflates it with some other movies that I watch all the time. Um, but, uh, She'd forgotten about the V8 scene and the shriek of horror uh, when uh, Lucinda Dickey pours that V8 down her chest. <laughs> it was definitely disturbing, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, more to come down the line uh, for certain. Folks, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Film Strip. Uh, you can always find all of our back episodes on Google Play, on Stitcher, on iTunes, and on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. Leave us a review on one of those places. Let us know what you think of the show and tell other people about it. We appreciate the support. Until next time, for Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Film Strip. Thank you for listening to Film Strip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. <laughs>